Luke chapter 4, uh, the last verses of Luke chapter 4 is where we'll be beginning here in, in our discussion of, of the text. We read it earlier. Jesus, now in his humanity, needed, like everyone else of us, uh, to get away a little bit uh, for rest, for solitude, for a time of prayer. So thus we read then, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate, the ESV says desolate place, it's a secluded place, a solitary place, there in verse number 42 of chapter 4. And this effort was then thwarted by the people who were seeking him out and coming to him. Ron talked about this in his own message this morning there according to verse 43. But so, what was the reason there for their seeking him out? That they wanted to keep him in Capernaum. Why? Not because of who he was, not because they saw him as their savior from sin, not because they they recognized him as the Lord of glory, but one who did stuff for them, who kept them in awe. Who worked miracles on their behalf. I mean if you had somebody like that. You wouldn't want to let him go. So they wanted to keep him. In Capernaum. They didn't want him to leave. John chapter 6. Which Ron also dealt with there. We find Jesus responding to this kind of seekers. There uh, in verses 26 and 27, he said, You are seeking me not because you saw the signs. What does that mean? That is the proofs that identified him as the Messiah Christ. But because you ate your fill of the loaves, that is, you want me to do for you what uh, I, you know, you want me for what I can do for you, what I can give to you. So he t- then he warns them, do not work for the bread that or the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In other words, seek me for what you really need. Not what you want, what you really need. Eternal life. And I'm the only one who can give you that. Now, observe here too, that he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Don't just read over this. Stop and think, why did he use that terminology there? Why did he say, which the Son of Man will give you? He's directing their thoughts away from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. He is the Son of Man, recorded there in Daniel chapter nine, or, uh, excuse me, seven. Thus, relating eternal life to the kingdom of God, which I think we see then in the emphasis of verse forty-three, where he said, where he responding says, "I must." The reason I'm leaving, the reason I'm going away from Capernaum is I must preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. 
For this is the purpose for which I came. This is the this is my purpose. I was sent for this purpose. So let's consider then this kingdom of God it being the central theme, and I really believe it is the central theme of Luke's gospel. The central theme of, of his description of, of Jesus' ministry. As the incident there in the first verses of chapter 5 will demonstrate. Jesus came into the world to rule in the hearts of his people. Not just be a provider for their wants. And when he came, he also brought with him the kingdom of God. For which we are to be subject. It's here now. It's not something we're waiting for or looking for. Of course, we're looking for its consummation and its reality here on the earth, but it's here now. When Jesus finished reading from the book of Isaiah there in the uh, synagogue at Nazareth, chapter Isaiah chapter 61, he sat down then in order to teach. This is the rabbi's position. I've, re I've read that and I've said, you know, we don't really follow the Bible here. Uh, the preacher stands up to preach. You sit down, but the preacher stands up. The crowd stood up to listen to Jesus while he sat down. <laughs> but uh, when, he, when he sat down like that, the scripture is clear here. All eyes were fixed on him. I mean, they were given rapt attention. They knew something here was vitally important that, he, that uh, they were about to hear. So he said to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Chapter 4, verse 21. In other words, kingdom rule it was now a present reality. Because that's what he read about. The scripture that he read from reflected the good news of Judah's return from the Babylonian captivity. Here's This is one of the issues of the prophets. What, what's the prophet talking about? Well, on the, on, the, on the surface, he's dealing with the return of Judah from the captivity. But Isaiah is also dealing with the issue. In fact, Jesus pointed out there's, there's two. There's the year of the Lord's favor and then there's the day of the Lord's vengeance. And Isaiah is really focusing on that day of the Lord's vengeance. Even though God blessed them in bringing them back from the Babylonian captivity, his dealings with them were not done. They were awaiting for that day of his vengeance that would come upon them. But there's a double reference. Even the prophet himself may not have understood this. In fact, he didn't. Because the scripture says there's many things that they, having written, desire to look into. They want to know, what does this really mean? But... There's a double reference here, and that double reference is very clear to us because we're on the other side of it. And we can see how it was fulfilled. And the double reference points to the coming of the Messiah, 
the Spirit would be upon him because Yahweh anointed him, that is, authorized him to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And this prophecy was fulfilled at Jesus' baptism. Remember when he came up, the Spirit settled on him in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's when he was authorized to begin his earthly ministry. What this gospel that he proclaimed signified by Isaiah was in terms of, of the poor gaining freedom from bondage. With respect to Israel, it was bondage, uh, their free, freedom from the Babylonian bondage and from their de deportation there to their de deportation, and then under Cyrus to be liberated, liberating the captives. But with respect to the gospel age, we have a little difference of reading. Recovering of sight to the spiritually blind. Now, how does this happen? Well, I believe under the inspiration of God, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, reinterpreted this Hebrew phrase, which Jesus himself gives his stamp of approval to because he read it there in Nazareth that way. Which is then the granting of freedom from the bondage of sin. Not from physical bondage in Babylon, but from spiritual bondage to sin. And the anticipated result of this good news then would be gladness, according to Isaiah, gladness, praise, and righteousness, so that Yahweh might be glorified, according to verse number 3 of chapter uh, 4, or excuse me, uh, Isaiah chapter 61. And this would be accomplished as those who benefited from the salvation of Christ then would be built up, raised up, and then they, in turn, would rebuild the ruined cities. And here again, as prophetic language that prefigures the gospel salvation of the repentant, delivered from the bondage of sin, who would rejoice in their freedom, praise the Lord, and build and walk in righteousness and holiness before Him to all their days of their earthly existence, and build the kingdom of God. Believers live in the already versus the not yet of the kingdom of God. In the present age, as Jesus taught, the kingdom of God is not coming to you in ways that can be observed. Or will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, that is, in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. But one day, and we're looking forward to that day, the kingdom rule will be the only kingdom on earth. Jesus will be king of kings and lord of lords. 
And the kingdoms of this world, according to Revelation 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. So so how does then chapter 5, and we come into chapter 5 at this point, and how does that relate? Well, Keep your ears open. (laughs) We read here in verses 1 to 4, on one occasion, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. The, uh, there's, it goes by several names. This is one. The term Gennesaret means harp. But the etymology of the term is really uncertain. And it has been suggested that due to the fertility of the region, that Gennesaret really means princely garden. I I don't know if, if I could support that or not, but that's what I read. And he saw two boats there. Getting back to the text here, he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and I think that was a deliberate issue, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught. Again, notice he sat down. He sat down in the synagogue. He sat down in the boat and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now let's, concerning here this first verse of of, uh, chapter 5, and comparing that with the last verses of chapter 4, we understand that Jesus used the opportunity here to preach to the crowds pressing in on him. You almost think here's a, kind of a contradiction because in the last chapter in the last verses of chapter 4 he wanted to get away get into a deserted place a solitary place but now as chapter 5 opens we have these great crowds by by the sea and he wants to preach to them what is the difference and as we noted here from the above in Uh, From John chapter 6, the unregenerate crowds sought Jesus to meet their carnal needs for food, for healing, for an entertainment. So they came to Jesus and said, we want to keep you here in in, uh, Capernaum. Why? Because they were interested in only what Jesus would do for them. But Jesus took the opportunity to preach to this crowd by the lake of Gennesaret because we hear they wanted to hear the word of God. Notice the difference. No wonder Jesus took that opportunity to preach to them in verse 1. Chapter 4 closes by stating that Jesus usually taught in the synagogues of the Jewish people. Verse 44. By the way, I altered the reading there to my own understanding of it. However, as chapter 5 opens, we find him 
Now, on one occasion, it states here that on one, on, on one occasion, Jesus preached in the open. We find him doing that many times, but here's one of those occasions where he didn't do his usual thing in the synagogue, but in the open preached. And I think due to the number of people that were there and understanding the amplifying quality of water, Jesus borrowed a boat to put out a little from the land so that he could be heard better from on the shore. And again, that boat belonged to Peter. There's no, there's no coincidences in, in God's divine plan. He chose Peter's boat. Now, Mark records an incident where Jesus taught from a boat, but may, it may have been a different occasion from the one recorded here in Luke. And that would be Mark chapter 4 and 1 and following, because Jesus taught, immediately he taught the parable of the sower. But nothing is mentioned here about what he, he taught the disciples. Other than this incident was used with respect to the calling of his disciples. It may be, but I, I really doubt if it's the same occasion. Notice that to teach, Jesus sat down again. Luke does not tell us what he taught them or how the message was received, but rather, as I said, the purpose of this occasion was to record Jesus' third time in calling his disciples. We think there was one occasion. No, there were three. Let me, let me share that with you here. The first time is recorded there in John chapter 1. And it involved two men, one unnamed and the other, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. These disciples asked Jesus where he was staying, which was in, in effect asking, can we be your disciples? Can we come and stay with you so that you will teach us? And Jesus responded to them, come and see. This is John 1 uh, 35 to 42. Jesus then went from Gal there to Galilee and found Philip, it says. And Philip introduced him to Nathaniel. That would be 43 to 51. The second time is recorded in Matthew, where walking by the sea, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew casting nets. They were casting nets. In this occasion, they're washing nets. And he said, and when he saw them, he said to them, called out to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He says that in this, this one too. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And although there were, are similarities in Matthew's account of that of our text here, Luke uh, in Luke, there are also significant differences to conclude that they are different occasions. Thus, in the text before us, Luke records their third and final call before being appointed to apostleship, which takes place in chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. And here, three individuals are involved. 
that Jesus called on this occasion. Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. So the, here's the question. Why did Jesus need to call Peter three times to follow him? Matthew records that Peter and Andrew immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. According to Matthew 4.22, And in John's first account, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, announcing, We have found the Messiah. And then on that occasion, Jesus changed Simon's name to Cephas. Paul picks up on that and uses that name for, for Peter, Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic, and it means a stone. Peter is Greek, and it means a stone. So Simon Peter is his Hebrew name, Simon, and his Greek name given to him by Jesus, Peter. But nothing is said here of Peter's following Jesus then. John mentions that Jesus invite, was invited to the wedding in Cana of Galilee with his disciples. Well, if we follow the timeline, the only ones involved here would be Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel and Peter. <laughs> Since only the only disciples named previously uh, here are, were could be included. So we assume Peter was at the wedding. But he returned to his fishing, as we note then from Luke and from Matthew. So what's this all about? I really think this is where Peter really comes to see who Jesus is. So after using Peter's boat, to preach to the crowds on the shore, then Jesus sought to pain for the use of his boat. Well, no, actually not. He used the occasion to press upon Peter the need to truly follow him. Obviously, when one reads the gospel accounts, it's clear that at least one of these disciples spent time with Jesus before his calling. Some of them, some of the disciples. In fact, the previous chapter records Jesus' visit to Peter's house where he healed his mother-in-law. That's 4, 38 and 39. But clearly, Peter then returned to his fishing. And that is, if Luke's account is chronological... And it may or may not be, we don't know. But now let's get back to this. Following the Lord Jesus. See, that's what we're all supposed to be doing. Following the Lord Jesus. So the miracle here of the great catch was used of God to get Peter's attention. Jesus said to Peter, Put out a little into the deep and let down your net. Nets for a catch. That's verse 4. Peter's first response to Jesus was, and this is important let, to, to read this, and read carefully. Jesus, uh, uh, Peter said to Jesus, 
Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, trans the translation here is, we're professional fishermen. Fishing is not an easy task. We often spend all night fishing and get, in it, get nothing. Why do you think that letting the nets down now, here, or out a little bit, is going to do us any good? See, Peter needed to be humbled. He didn't really understand who Jesus is. And here he addressed him, notice, he addressed him, Master. That's, that Greek word means an overseer. That's recognizing the position of somebody as a, as of authority and superiority, but it does not necessarily mean that the one addressing him sees any need to be under that oversight or submissive to, his, to that authority. I recognize you as the boss, but you're not my boss. You may boss people, but you're not bossing me. But Peter does yield to him on this occasion. But, at your word, I will let down the nets. What he's doing, really, is accommodating Jesus. We'll let him down. And you, can, you can see for yourself. Ah, but when he did, <laughs> and, it's, and Peter apparently had some with him. And it wasn't James and John because we will see that later here. Peter had, I think, had a crew, maybe three or four, two or three, maybe, that were with him. And they let down their net. And when they did so, they were totally unprepared for the enormous catch. It was so large, it says, that their nets began to break. They didn't break, but they were on the verge of breaking. So they called to their partners in the other boat, which were James and John, and probably their crew, and to come over and help them. And when they did so, they filled both boats so full of fish that they were ready to sink. Can you imagine that? And this miracle awakened Peter and his response was to fall at Jesus' feet and cry out for mercy. He saw Jesus, perhaps for the first time, for who he really was. And this was a powerful awakening, for he saw himself in contrast to this Holy One standing before him. And the depths of his own sinfulness became a stark reality. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Depart from me. Did he really want Jesus to leave him? I don't think so. But he was seeing himself as unworthy of Jesus' presence. I, I, I shouldn't be here. You're the Holy One. And I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
Peter was profoundly struck by his own unworthiness to be in Christ's presence. Has that been your experience? It needs to be. Peter's experience was like that of Thomas, whose unbelieving request was, unless I see and feel the wounds, I will never believe. Jesus graciously answered that. The resurrected Lord appeared to him and, that, and told him, ah, see, feel, it's I. And Thomas's response was the same. My Lord and my God. John chapter 20, verse 28. This time Peter also called him Lord. You see the difference? Master, I recognize you as, as a boss. When he called him Lord, he said, you're my boss. This term, Lord, is used when one recognizes the sovereign right that one possesses over another. You are my sovereign. You're my sovereign. Now Jesus was Peter's master and boss who had authority to possess or to dispose of him. See, submission to Jesus' lordship requires obedience. Thus in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? I wonder how many Christians there are out there they, they call him Lord all the time, but obedience, that's another story. Obedience must characterize the one who acknowledges Jesus as Lord. And this is what Peter needed. Je Jesus called him to him. Now Peter must obey him. Paul admonished in Romans 14, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we are the Lord's. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For, what, for, this is the, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. We need to live like we're going to meet God at judgment. What are we going to do then? So we read there in Philippians 2.13, God has highly exalted Him and, give, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2.13 So how tragic it is that on judgment day many will say, Lord, Lord! Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out devils in your demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, Matthew 7, and 23. It is one thing to call him Lord. It is another to fully submit to his lordship. It's another that he is your Lord. Lordship requires humble obedience. So all who witnessed the enormous catch are said then in verse 9 to be astonished. What does that word mean? This word means that they were literally immobilized by fear. What they witnessed was totally out of the ordinary. These were professional fishermen. To, to have this kind of product was blew their minds completely. And they were literally paralyzed with fear. And you see that when Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. You know, there some things of the divine ought to do this to us. They ought to bring us under, under terror. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and it ought to bring terror to us. But we always hear the... the Encouraging words of our Lord Jesus Christ, fear not, fear not. Wow. So what was the result? He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will, you will be catching men. There, verse 10. So how did they respond? It says, when they brought their boat to, boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They didn't go back to fishing, except Peter then later when, when he, after he denied Christ three times, he went back to fishing. He said, let's go fishing. He wasn't talking about a little fishing trip. He said, I've, I've failed the Lord so miserably. I don't, he, I'm, he's kicked me out of it. I'm going back to my old profession. And he took a bunch of guys with him. That's why Jesus sought him out there on the shores of Gennesaret again. Children, have you taken any meat? Oh, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> Let down your nuts for a catch. Oh, yeah, that's familiar. He remembered. And now they, they saw the same miracle again. So much so that they, that they struggled to get the, the, the net to shore. Full of big fish. See, this is what it's all about. Peter, feed my sheep. Stop fishing and become a shepherd. Yeah, they left everything and followed him. This was total surrender. And that's what Jesus was seeking. Now he's ready to appoint them to be his apostles in chapter 6, verse 12. 
So let me close with a word here. And while studying for this message, I, I read this, and then I couldn't find where I, I got it from to give the man credit. But, but, th but this is good. If success humbles you, failure will build you up. Think about that. On the other hand, if, su if success puffs you up, failure will destroy you. By faith, these men left all and followed Christ. They had been catching living fish, and when they caught them, the fish died. But now they would catch dead fish, sinners, and the fish would then live and live forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this interesting story. And Lord, may we be like those, like Peter, who first really understood who you were and fell at your feet and cried out, You are holy. You are glorious, and I'm just a rotten sinner. I should not even be in your presence. Depart from me. But, oh, our gracious Lord wanted that, that full surrender, that acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he followed him, leaving all, followed him. Lord, I, I pray that we might be like Peter, that we might see you for who you are, and like oh, Peter, call you Lord, and not only call you Lord, but obey you, and do your will. Give up everything and follow you. And we praise you and thank you for what you will do in our hearts today. We ask this for his sake and for your glory. Amen.